Krista Barfield is a former healthcare worker turned regenerative organic farmer and entrepreneur. A dynamic leader in the Philadelphia community, Krista is a passionate advocate for food justice for urban people through creating access to healthy, regenerative organic food and growing the next generation of black and brown farmers and agripreneurs. She's the visionary behind Farmer John's groundbreaking programs in the greater Philadelphia area, serving as the CEO of both Farmer John Agriculture and Viva Leaf Tea Company. She is all that and so much more. So Krista, thank you so much for making the time to connect today. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Really excited to jump into this conversation. Well, we're thrilled to have you. So I was wondering, can you share a little bit more about your experiences working within the healthcare industry and what sparked your pivot from healthcare into agriculture and entrepreneurship? It's such a dynamic journey that you've had so far. And I think will really resonate with a lot of people. My time in healthcare, uh, I would say it's been almost my whole life. Um, I was raised by a healthcare professional. So my mother was a respiratory therapist and then she was a registered nurse and uh, now is a nurse practitioner with her doctorate. So I have always loved medicine because of her, uh, watching her get ready for work and her wearing scrubs and going to the hospital and um, after work, me then being, you know, visiting the hospital after I got out of school while she was at work. So I just was around healthcare so much because of her. And um, I really saw her passion for it and how she cared for people. And that was innately just within me because I I, I am a servant leader as well. So I, I choose to live my life by way of service to others. And that's what brings me joy. So I always wanted to do that in the health sphere. And so, you know, getting into to college and, and finishing my degree with healthcare administration, realizing that I would be on the admin side of, you know, how practices actually work. How do we make them them run and, and be both profitable, but also beneficial to people. And having that skill set it was great while I was there. You know, it's not often that people get to actually go to school for graduate and then get a job <laughs> in their in their career track. Uh, so I was blessed for that. But I also found myself after a 10 year career, very burnt out. Healthcare is very demanding, as we all know. Uh, so in 2018, I decided to resign from that career and it led me to some soul searching and uh, I decided to take a vacation, my very first one out of the country to Martinique in 2018, about three weeks after I put my resignation in. And uh, I traveled to Martinique and I saw Black people farming. And um, and I also saw herbs being brewed directly from the ground straight into a cup. And so both of those experiences influence what is now We Believe Tea Company and Farmer John Agriculture. Do you want to make a lasting change in our health, our environment, and our future? Consider supporting Rodale Institute as a perennial partner. For as little as $10 a month, you'll be part of a community who believes in the power of regenerative organic agriculture. Join now and you'll receive a limited edition Rodale Institute Chico bag. It's reusable and made from 100% post-consumer recycled plastic. Visit rodaleinstitute.org and click donate to learn more. It's such an amazing journey that you've had and I think really speaks to a story of reclamation and of resilience. And so can you speak a little bit to just your own experience going to Martinique, interacting with the plants and the herbs and the local community 
and really getting to witness black people farming for joy and for themselves and how that has informed your current trajectory and career path? It's really about reclamation of self. And that's what it was about for me. Um, introspection, really getting to see after giving myself all of me, right, to to my to external things, um, my my family, my job, and not really saving any any pieces for myself. Um, that trip was really about reconnecting with who I was uh, meant to be, who I am meant to be, and with you know never touching soil a day in my life, getting to just see how. People in other parts of the world integrate agriculture into their lifestyle. That's how they live. And this is how they were taught to live. And it, and it, it let me know that, and it reminded me really that we all come from agrarian backgrounds. That's what our, what's, it's, it's in our lineage, you know, that's how our family and our ancestors ate and they relied on the land to do so. So it, I never thought about it before living in a city growing up in Philadelphia. So it allowed me to take in those experiences and then give me food for thought later. Like I was able to process that later. While I was on that trip, I didn't think about all of that, the reclamation, you know, that was necessary and needed and uh, about how my ancestors were setting this up. Like they was literally like setting up the alley-oop for me to, to get into agriculture, not realizing that it would reconnect me right back to, to my love of healthcare. And so can you speak to some of your own experience with food as medicine and even your journey into your work with Farmer John and just where you began with all of that? I mean, it was such a huge transformative transition that you made. And I'm curious to know, you know, where where do you start? What's point A? Point A for me at the time was when I got home, I'm like, okay, reality, we're back now. <laughs> this is reality. <laughs> You are unemployed. <laughs> you have a house. You have a car. You have two kids. You have responsibilities. Uh, what is next for you? And really, it was like, okay, I can. I need a way to supplement my savings because that's key, right? We we do live in America. Things cost money. Uh, and I decided that I was going to do gig lifestyle. So like, I Ubered, I lifted, I delivered groceries for people on the beginning of the day, the mornings from five a.m. to nine a.m., and then in the evenings from five p.m. to nine p.m. But that middle of the day was all about me. It was all mm -hmm. about what I wanted to accomplish, my thought processes, and so where you begin is on paper. Paper. That's really where you begin and putting pen to paper to think about a real plan and how it's going to to work, you know, identifying what the problems actually are and then also writing down the proposed solutions, a, a hypothesis, if you will. So it, it this whole process of how I built Farmer John has been through a scientific me scientific method. Um, I again back back into my my love of science. I've been in many science fairs years ago. If you would ever Google my name, you would only see about me uh, the the science fairs that I won. <laughs> Fun fact about Krista Barfield. I um, never knew that. Yes. <laughs> So I've always been, and I, you know, I use this term very endearingly, a complete geek. And I love that about myself. <laughs> um, and getting to, to, to have that background, I now approach everything with that mindset, you know, first thinking about hypothesis and then working my way through what are the <clears throat> procedures, what are the supplies that you need to get this done? And then at the end, how do you conclude that so actually 
you know, what, what actually happened, being able to evaluate the process. So when you're building any business, especially a farm um, and any food brand accompanying with that farm, you, you got to look at it from that, that lens of, you know, so that the problem solving is already built into the process. That's a really neat perspective. And so zooming out a little bit, can you share with our audience just what is Farmer John and how did you land upon that name? What's the ethos behind it? Farmer John, uh, so I, I would like to start with V-Belief because V-Belief is the the first inaugural brand that uh, I began. Uh, and that is a value-added company. And I started that first because I was like, we need to be able to build revenue into this model. And many farms fail because they don't have uh, additional streams of revenue. And it's not enough just to grow something. You have to make it into something also in order to really sustain and, and become profitable and be able to pay your team, you know, a, a living wage, all of those things matter. So Viva Leaf Tea was the, the beginning. And then, uh, and that was in 2019 when I actually launched that. It launched into stores and in the region and uh, began growing those herbs and procuring those herbs from local farms in, in the area. That's one amazing thing about Pennsylvania is that it is an egg state, although Philadelphia and Pittsburgh aren't necessarily considered that, but the actual state itself is, is lush with farmland. Um, and I was able to find some really great partners that grew organically for the herbs that I was, that I needed. And I would grow others as well to create these beautiful tea blends and, and honey concoctions and, uh, got the chance to sell them in stores. And so that was, a, was great for me to have some revenue to support this bigger vision of Farmer John, um, which Farmer John, J-A-W-N, that is very much a Philly word. It is uh, indicative to our culture here in Philadelphia. And when you hear it, you know that it just means anything. Like, <laughs> let me see that John over there, or I'm going to that John over there. It is definitely a noun. It's a person, place, or thing, and everybody uses it, right? So when I thought about how to, how can I make sure that this brand is identifiable and resonates with people, it it was a message to, to folks, especially from urban communities, that anybody can farm. The barriers uh, are only what we put up for ourselves, and that's in most things. Um, and it's a message that anybody can farm. So Farmer John is what was what that means, and getting a chance to to, to really put this out into the world in 2020, in January, right before March 2020, when like the world got turned upside down, I was really happy to already, you know, just be begun getting my footing as, you know, a, a brand that was pushing vegetables, right? Pushing organic food and, 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 and healthy options for people. In that time, everybody was looking for a way to stay healthy and also looking to get food. So, you know, we were at the right place in the right time. Can you share a little more about why you went right to regenerative organic agriculture? I mean, it's amazing to me that not only are you creating food access in an urban community, that you're going the next step, the extra 100 miles to farm in a way that, you know, gives back to the earth and gives to the community food that otherwise, you know, you're, if you go into the corner store, you're not going to see produce, let alone regenerative organic produce. So what drove your desire to, to farm organically? Yeah, I have to run that back to, to Martinique and what I saw 
Um, and that short time that I was there, it, I, they were not using any additives. Like they weren't using any chemicals. They were farming the food the way that our ancestors farmed food. And when I think about just, you know, where I come from, thinking about the people that came before me, they where did they, where would they have gotten chemicals from? Right. So it's like, where would they have gotten all of these different additives? Everything was homemade. Um, they farmed in the most authentic way possible. So that food that's coming out of the soil was, you know, first and foremost, the soil was rich and lush and um, had natural microbes and there was nothing that was killing it, killing that. So I wanted to be able to get back to growing food at volume, at scale, the way that my ancestors did. And that's the only thing that made sense to me. And when you, uh, you obviously we have a planet that has been uh, definitely changed in so many ways and not, not all for the better. So we are now, that's again, that word reclamation comes back. It's like this earth, we need to give back to the people and in order to do that the right way, we need to do it with the concept of less is more. And, um, and that's where, that's where I made that deci- decision is that I want to farm as my ancestors did. And that's a fabulous way to create community ownership too, right? I mean, if you're not depending on external sources for things like pesticides or herbicides or fertilizers, you're really keeping it contained to you, your seeds, your farm, and the elements. And there's something so powerful about that, you know, as we're saying, a a reclamation of how do we farm with nature rather with nature as an adversary. Absolutely. Yeah. This actually reminds me of a a conversation of maybe last year. Someone asked me a question is, is what is the biggest sacrifice that you've made when it comes to farming? Like with growing your business, what is the biggest sacrifice and easiest? You know, many people might answer that question saying money. Other people might answer that question saying time. But I would definitely answer that question by saying my body. That is the sacrifice that you give to to farming because, um, you know, it requires the way if we farm in the way that our ancestors did and, and trying to use as little as possible additives and di- disrupting the earth as is as little as possible, then you are you are sacrificing and giving your body to, to the land uh, and in being of service to people by literally physicality. Um, because farming is hard and it takes, it's a lot of work. And if we farm the way our ancestors did, we're using hand tools more often than we're using heavy uh, machinery. And, and that's what we do. We want to be as close to indigenous as we can. I just, I'm consistently amazed by your capacity to not only envision what you'd like to create, but to execute. I mean, of the people I know, you know, you're navigating being a farmer, being a mom, being an entrepreneur, running a nonprofit. I I have to just ask, where do you derive the energy to keep your fire burning, to keep the work that you're doing going and to, you know, as you're sharing right now, like giving your body in sacrifice and service to this act of farming and creating nutrient-dense food? Yeah, you know, it's people. I, I, somebody it's recently asked me this question as well. Um, it's people. I really love seeing the way people light up and react to the fact that 
I exist, right? When they learn about the mission, when they learn about this, the ideals that I have that we're putting into action, they get very excited and then they see themselves and they don't necessarily, it's not, it's not a a racial thing either. Like that's a huge part of it. I love being representation for black people always will. Um, I love being representation for women as well. Like love that so much, but just just urban people and people out in the world that don't expect to see someone who looks like me able to to do what we do to pull off this concept and then you know put it into action um i love that that i thrive off of um making things happen if you will (laughs) and that's what that's what keeps me going when i see the impact that it's having when i see that last year you know and i think about that number one percent less than 1% of farmers in America are black. And then that number, there's a number, I don't know exactly what it is as far as how many farmers are women. And then we, you continue to get the statistics and then we can come through and plow right through them. That gets, gets me very excited. Um, because with our incubator program through the nonprofit, you know, our whole goal is to make sure that there's more black and brown farmers in the mix. And then for the food incubator side, our goal is for anybody, regardless of um, race, creed, you know, religion, we want to see as many people focusing on sourcing from regenerative organic farms for any products they're creating to put on these shelves or in these supermarket refrigerators. So, you know, that's where I see where I get all of my energy from is just actually envisioning the change and then seeing it happen step by step. You know, circling back to that that statistic, less than 1% of farmers in the United States are Black. I mean, that's just absolutely wild considering just the transition of, of land ownership over the years. And you mentioned your, your, incubator, your incubator program. Can you share more about your agripreneurship programs that you have going on through Farmer John, some of your food education programs, and what opportunities are available and just what that looks like for people coming through your programs? We are, Farmer Joan is a hybrid organization. So we have a for-profit sector as well as a nonprofit arm. And our nonprofit really focuses on workforce development. That's that's huge for us. Um, and we we also consider workforce development children. You know, I want kids when they get older, as they matriculate through school and they're asked what they want to be when they grow up and they're actually, you know, getting very close to adulthood, I want them to really consider farming. You know, I want to be a farmer when I grow up. That's what I want to hear because it needs to be profitable and sustainable business. And it can be. And so often farming is sold as this uh, pauper occupation. Um, But we all know that that can't be possible if all of us need to eat. And that means that if people are, if farmers are poor and are not able to, to take care of, of their, their families as well as the land uh, and the way that they, they would like to, where they can really flourish, that means that the system is broken and the way that things are being done is not the way they should be done. So there's some changes to be made. So I really look at how we are training the next generation of farmers, specifically black and brown people. Um, I'm loving it because not only are we focusing on, you know, getting, having, helping people get access to land, you know, understanding how farm operations work. That's only one side of it. You also have to know how to to run a business and you also need to have financial literacy. And traditionally, and especially in America, Black people are not 
the most financially literate. You know, there are so much, there's so much ad, um, adversity against us. And to be able to just simply have a conversation with people, understand where their passion lies and my using my acumen for business as well as now agriculture and health to be able to say like, let's talk about how we can fuse your passion with agriculture and create you so you can create a sustainable and profitable business for yourself and for your family and for your community wherever you may come from wherever you may live um so that's one huge part that i'm proud to say we've gotten off the ground in 2022 and uh our second cohort is now gearing up in 2023 so really excited about that School-based programming, like we love the littles. We love the littles. Um, being able to see their their eyes light up when they see soil, teaching them about how greenhouses work, and and helping them uh, plant a seed that they get to to watch, you know, sprout, or even you know, bringing seedlings to them so they can actually transplant, understand what transplanting is and why we do that. And I, I it gets me really excited to be able to see kids' eyes light up when they put their hands on soil. Like something I never got to do as a child. I don't ever recall me putting my hands on in soil. And so, you know, we're destigmatizing soil as well as well as decolonizing the outdoors. And that makes space for all marginalized people, black, brown, and, and otherwise, to be to to feel safe outside uh, in careers that involve that have, you know, outdoor involvement. And then the other side of the nonprofit, the third bucket is our corner john, uh, which is really a concept I had of redefining the corner store. So many of people that live in urban communities, so much of our food comes from right at the corner, right? It's like a staple for us. And um, I wanted to change what we find in those stores so that our communities can inherently be, be healthier as a result. There's so many moving parts to it, but it's amazing to yes. see how they... <laughs> It's it's truly it's incredible to see how you weave all of them together because education of the next generation, you know, getting children out to your farm to get their hands in the soil to feel that spark of, oh, wow, maybe I do want to be a farmer when I grow mm -hmm. up and then going and on the other end of things, working on food access and creating that in communities. I mean, it's it's incredible to see the multidimensional approach that you take to this issue and with so much passion. And I know you recently were invited to engage deeper with the USDA on some food as medicine and nutrition security programs. Can you just tell our audience a little more about the experience with that and um, just what you might see as being critical to implement on whether it's the local or federal level? That was such a, a beautiful experience to be invited to D.C. Uh, back in October to to speak on the the what the Biden Harris administration has has run back as far as nutrition and, and hunger and health and their goal to end hunger by 2030 and figuring out ways and listening to see how we get to how we do that and making it not just a conversation of like you know hunger at large, but like thinking about what the base of hunger is and, 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 and treating it as a public health issue is, is key in that. And so be, they invited, a, you know, uh, healthcare professionals from all over the world um, to come and have a conversation with the USDA and then with community-based programming and uh, a bunch of different organizations were present and I got a chance to voice what it is we're doing with Farmer John and how I'd, I'd like to 
to be able to, to take this proof of concept and help others implement the same thing in, in their areas, in their neck of the woods. And that is how we tackle hunger. But, you know, tackling hunger is not enough. We also need to make sure that the food that we're providing is also nutrient dense. And that's why I love that they're not only focusing on food insecurity, but they're also focusing on, focusing on nutrition, nutrition security, ensuring that uh, we are thinking about produce prescriptions and medically tailored meals um, for people. And, you know, they're willing to listen to say to insurance companies like, hey, this is something that you should be funding. And what information and what research do you need to for, for us to make that a reality? So, yeah, that was truly a blessing to be there. I went and spoke again uh, at another forum they had in Atlanta and a, a wonderful organization called Root Cause Coalition is the one that's uh, partnering with the USDA to put this together. And uh, it's been really nice to be a part of that. And, and I hope to continue to, to empower others throughout this nation to, to feel like they have a voice and to feel like they can actually do and implement solutions for ensuring nutrition and health in their own communities. I really appreciate you emphasizing that root cause approach and also looking at, you know, the difference between food security and nutrition security, because those are two different things. You know, giving someone access to calories and carbohydrates is very different than giving someone access to calories, carbohydrates and essential vitamins and minerals through their diet, through nutrient dense food. And so I, it just speaks to the power of the way that you're choosing to run your farming operation and develop out this model where it's not just about, okay, how do we get food into communities? Yes, that's important, but how do we get nutrient dense food? And I just really appreciate you making that distinction. Yeah, thank you. A question that's come up for me is how, how has your relationship to health and wellness shifted since becoming a farmer and getting your hands on the soil? Oh, I'd this is a great question. Thank you for this. <laughs> Um, because I, not only am I a farmer, but I'm also a business owner. And, and as you can tell, and you, as you will know, I am very busy. Um, but rest is at the top of my priority list. And I think that's an important thing to, to implement, to emphasize is that rest, it has to be a part of your wellness, um, regimen. And, um, I love food. Yes, that's definitely true. I love the fact that I get to eat food that I grow. But on all of that, that, you know, I drink tea every day, right? I own a tea company. And I, and I, I think when I designed these blends, I, I was it was with wellness in mind. Um, they all essentially correlate with, you know, a way that you can improve your health in a certain area. So, yes, I'm eating well. I'm, I'm drinking tea. I'm hydrated. <laughs> but I'm also resting. And so, you know, running my own business, I wanted to negate the rhetoric of in order to achieve the American dream, you have to burn yourself out. I left that, you know, I was making someone else's American dream come true and burning myself out over a 10 year period. And I, I decided when I quit my job that although in that moment I had no idea what my next steps were going to be, I, were, I refused to be unwell ever again. And so, yeah, that's definitely rest is, is the ultimate path to real ROI. Yeah. And I mean, that's perfectly in line with the theme of reclamation. Yes. Rest is <laughs> truly a form of radical reclamation. So how do you find time to rest, I mean, between, and we haven't even touched on your your work now at Westtown, um, between <laughs> yeah. changing the urban agricultural landscape to now moving into suburban and rural farming. 
A, how do you rest? And B, can you tell us more about your new farm at Westtown? Yes. So A, um, resting just, you have to make it a priority. And I am a very scheduled person. My calendar tells me what I'm going to do. And I actually really enjoy that. I have a, a wonderful team that ensures that things can get done. So everything is not on my shoulders. So I cannot get anything done at the, the level that I do without a team. And that's for anybody that wants to run a business. You're only as good as, as your team is. And um, so I attribute my ability to truly work at a high level, be high functioning and still get rest is definitely dedicated to, to, the, to the folks that make it happen. That's on my team. Now, West Town. <laughs> um, yeah, that is, that's something, that's a lot, right? It's 123 acres. So now we are stewarding a, a little over 128 acres of land total within the enterprise. And 123 is in one location. And again, I'm, I am, I have this idea behind this, with this farm is that we're going to small scale. <laughs> we're going to run this, this farm as a small scale farm, which means that every year we're going to gradually pretty much reinvest land after we've given it a chance to rest because we are also converting it to organic. Um, we're going to basically reinvest and recirculate the land and into production. So year one, we're putting 20 acres into production and we're going to just gradually do a, a, between 20 and 30 acres uh, each year until we reach, you know, the, the full acreage and a lot of permaculture is coming into play. And yeah, I'm just really excited about this land because also a major part of what we're doing with it is giving it back. Right. So with our urban agripreneur cohort and, and the people that we're training, not only will they get that urban experience down in Philadelphia, but they'll be able to just 45 minutes away from the city also have uh, the educational base of rural and suburban farming. So, you know, as I'm learning, because this is definitely new for me and as I have Rodale as my backbone um, and have for since 2020, I am you know really excited to be able to expand um, what has been known as the urban agriculture enterprise now to, to, to be able to grow even more to scale, which growing in the right way, regeneratively and organically. And as we convert that land, that parcel, um, we'll be able to feed even more people and, and do so the right way. And so what would you say is that step one for, you know, our listeners who may be farmers thinking about transitioning to regenerative organic or organic land management practices in approaching this parcel of land that you've never farmed on before, how are you beginning to transition to organic? What steps are you using? Yeah, first was soil testing, honestly. And um, we're in that process right now. We've already taken the samples and I, I want to see what's what's in it. <laughs> uh, I know how it's been treated for the last few years. I know or for the last 30 years, at least minimum, it's definitely been, um, you know, glyphosate is was a, a pesticide that was used. And so I want to ensure that I can help get people the, the most nutrient dense food. And that's by um, just working to see what's in the soil and what type of amendments and additives I I can can put in to make it better, um, to enrich that soil, you know, decreasing the amount of tilling that has been done drastically until we get to a point where we can be no till. And just making sure that folks know that they too are welcome to come put their hands in this soil. I think the best way to heal it is to invite people to come be a part of that. 
um, in healing self and healing the land. It, it's all symbiotic. And yeah, so that's what I'm really, really looking forward to, to, to the first steps of that is just inviting people through our volunteer program that we're, we're launching to, to give people an opportunity to, to come see and be a part of the, the transition and the transformation. What elements of healing the land also connect into our own personal healing? You know, like I've found my, as I've deepened into my relationship with land, with the earth, that's helped in so many ways, my relationship to myself, to my loved ones, to the world around me, the causes that I feel passionately about. So can you dive in a little more to the experience that people get when they do reconnect with the earth, with soil, you know, for some folks like yourself, when you're in your just turning 30, that's your first experience yeah. with, with getting your hands in the soil. So can you share about that experience? You feel so good about yourself after you've accomplished something. Um, and I think that's also a goal-oriented person. My team will tell you that I'm, I'm a very uh, results-driven leader. So I don't put people on time clocks. I think that, you know, this is what I, I need done. This is what we as a team need done. And I leave it up to you to get it done in the, in the right time frame by this date, right? Like that type of thing. And I think that, you know, that that allows people to feel like they're in, they're part of the bigger picture. You're a part of the goal uh, of what we're trying to reach. And that needs to be the the commonality um, when we're, when we're thinking about a farm. So if somebody is thinking about building their own and, and wanting to become an entrepreneur and as an agripreneur specifically, it is definitely about thinking about the time that you're you're spending and, and the amount of time that you're using to to rest, but also again give sacrifice and give your body to the to the land. There has to be a, a very distinct balance between the two. And it takes some it takes some getting used to, to to finding that harmony where you know getting into that groove and, and I am now it's ever changing, right? So it's like now now I've actually moved to Westchester. So I live in Westchester now, so I can be seven minutes from the farm and be able to to give that land and give the soil what it needs. Uh, and part of that is rest. There's, the land also needs rest so that it, it can become uh, back to its fullest potential. And it also just needs uh, love and, and soft hands and um, more seeds, <laughs> you know, seeds growing in soil that has been harmed in any way. Um, when you start to sow into it, what grows of it is also nourishing to the land itself. As we know, as regenerative farmers, you know, we want to disturb the soil as little as possible and allow growth to take place. And there's something that we call chop and drop when uh, after a, a plant has spent, you know, it's, it's run its life cycle instead of pulling the roots out, you just simply allow the plant to, to lie there and uh, dedicate itself back into the soil for um, enrichment. And I think that as a human being, we we do the same thing. So uh, the life cycle of people and planet um, do run in so many ways parallel to each other. That's a really interesting thought thread to pull. You know, there are so many parallels between our health and the health of the earth. And so can you share more about really why regenerative organically grown food is that investment in health, especially in communities that are so heavily impacted uh, by systems of food apartheid? 
Yeah. You know, the one word, the biggest word that comes to me is biodiversity. Mm. Um, and that is what I love about the way regenerative organic agriculture is like the, all the components of that is, um, is people and planet truly working together and, um, vibing off of each other. There's this constant, um, in syncness, if you will, that is the, the synchrony, right? There, that's taking place um, to ensure that you the land is giving and that the land is also getting and people are giving and people are also getting, right? So it's this constant uh, cycle that is is truly necessary for, for us to keep our planet um, moving in a proper direction and, and as well as uh, the human race. And the food that's grown is only a, a, a piece of it, like, and in, in we're nourished, but there's also animals that, that's a part of it too, right? So like, um, I'm really excited to be able to add um, animal, hu- animal husbandry into what we're doing at the farm. And that's increasing our biodiversity, you know, having, I want to have chickens, like I'm really looking forward to having some chickens on the farm um, and just watching them free range and enjoy being in the space um, and, you know, eating the the worms and eating, you know, also giving back their manures that again, enriches the planet, enriches our crops and all of that. So I just love how all things work together for the greater good. And we get to really see that and, um, and actually happening. And not only that, we also get to pay people well. And I think that's that's also one of the biggest things um, in regenerative agriculture is ensuring that, yes, there is animal life. Yes, there is, yes you are paying your team well. Um, no, you're not spraying pesticides. And all in all, that to me screams um, all the things that are important to me, which is rest, reclamation, and um, yeah, making sure that the, the people and the planet are benefiting in the end. Sounds like rest, reclamation, and reciprocity. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So pulling into that, you know, leaning into that concept of synchrony that you had shared, what are some of the disconnects that you've observed between rural and urban agricultural landscapes? Um, And, you know, how do you really envision that programs like the one that you're now running at Westtown, how do you envision that that can heal our, our regional food sheds and start to create you know, more, more cohesive food webs between rural, suburban and, um, and inner city areas. You know, the biggest thing for me and why I'm so excited about West town is that I get to grow food for the masses. And what that means is that I get to be inclusive because that's where my mindset is. I I am a, you know, most of the farms that we see in our, in the communities and like in and around Pennsylvania, um, a lot of that food doesn't end up on the tables in and around Pennsylvania. (laughs) So that's the peculiar thing. That is my focus. That is definitely where my heart lies and the a lot of the lo- the large farm land is used for commodity growing typically so your soybeans your corn you know those kind of crops that are typically not for food for people but a lot of times you're it's for feed um for animals and so while yes that in part is is important um i think it's more important to focus on instead of fattening animals uh, i'm not a vegetarian but however it is important to, to focus first on people um ver- versus you know growing uh certain crops to fatten animals for sale so 
I I want to complete the food system between suburban, urban, and rural to make it one complete food system for this region, for the Philadelphia region. And that's where I'm focusing. So we're not growing crops to, to send them thousands of miles away. We're growing crops to feed the people that are in this area. And that's where, that's what, what most excites me about what we're doing at Westtown. Yeah, there's something so powerful about that. I love that one complete food system for the Philadelphia area. As you had mentioned, talking about farmland being used for commodity growing, I mean, the way subsidies are structured in the United States is, of course, you you have corn, wheat, soy heavily subsidized and farmed as a huge monoculture crop that's then given to animals. And so I always think about, you know, how much of our land in the United States is actually being used to grow nutrient-dense food to get onto people's plates, whether that's organic or conventional. And, you know, it's leaders and visionaries like yourself that are out there that are making the actual shifts towards the future that we want to see and, you know, the ways that we can turn the turn the farmland in our neighborhoods into something that's then giving back into back to the local food shed, back to the local community. Yeah. I mean, even even um, land that we never even considered could be a farm, right? Like if we are thinking about city areas in Philadelphia alone, there are over 40,000 empty lots throughout the city, some privately owned, some publicly. Uh, and I want to, you know, I think about ways to creatively use that space to to become food forests uh, that are from a permaculture standpoint that can be existing for as long as the generations to come need it. So yeah, your, your point is well taken. And so speaking of those empty lots, would you have any advice to anyone who's trying to get into urban farming, you know, where to begin, whether it's in Philadelphia or any of the countless other cities in the United States? How, how do you break into that space? What barriers do you face, you know, whether it's with the city or financially, and how do you break through some of those? Um, a couple different ways. When they're publicly owned, which means they're typically owned by the city, you can look into um, people. You can you can pretty much go to the city and find out more about what are they what are their plans with those lots. Many times they don't have any. <laughs> Sometimes they might be wanting to sell them to a developer, but they most cities they need to listen to their residents. Um, that's a part of being a city, especially when you're a large metropolitan like Philadelphia. So you want, instead of just sending someone out to mow it and keep it tidy and clean, they would much prefer to have a city, a person from the city that's willing to take over and take care of it uh, as long as you have a plan. And that's why it's like I always said, the first step is pen to paper, ensuring that you do have a plan for what you want to do with it. So when asked, when you finally do have the ear of an elected official, you know, Talking to your city council folks is also super important because that is those are your listening ears for when you have an idea and want to shoot it up the ladder. It's, it's starting there, but having that plan so that when you do finally have their attention, you you know exactly what to say. And then the ones that are privately held, those are a little bit harder. It, it, it can go one way or the other. You might have a, a person who owns that space who's like, oh, I would love you know, to see this space not be blighted. You know, I would love to be able to see something really cool happen here and they may be willing to work with you. 
to develop something dope, whether it be a community garden or you creating uh, some type of food outlet in that space, a place for a farmer's market, the list goes on. The ideas are really endless, right? But the other side of that is that many people who own land privately may be wanting to sell it for a large amount of money to a developer who wants to build an apartment building. Um, that's what's happening in cities you know, all over the nation. So it kind of really depends. You you have to be diligent. You have to, to know that just saying and having a plan is first and foremost and being willing to, to say your plan over and over again until as many people hear about it. That's literally how Farmer John be- began and how it has continued to thrive. And so I would say that that is what's necessary, having the actual plan, having the vision and uh, figuring out a way to, to have proof of concept is important. And then, uh, you know, getting your story out there by any means necessary and social media definitely helps with that. So yeah, have a plan first and then the next steps will will flow. And so what has the community response been to the work that you're doing? You know, what what impact have you seen on the city of Philadelphia or the neighborhood of Germantown um, since getting started with your work? Yeah, I mean, so many things uh, So from so many different perspectives, from folks who are now so much more interested in being in agriculture, um, so many people who have started gardens because they because of uh, Farmer John, people that have, like, just like me, had never had any experience with touching soil, coming out to volunteer days, um, people seeing themselves actual as actual business owners in general not even ag related. Um, we've seen that. And then it, again, it gets me excited when I see people who like, are like, yes, I'm going to run my own ag business. I'm just, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing how plants are literally becoming the center of people's lives. Whereas, you know, especially Farmer Jones starting in 2020 and then um, COVID hitting. And so with people being home, they were looking for something to do and they were turning to gardening and they were turning to house plants. And I just love how this world of ag and horticulture is really starting to become, uh, it's integrating into the lifestyles of people, which is, that's the mission of Farmer John is to, to reintroduce farming into the lifestyles of urban people. Um, and that was the original mission from the beginning. So I start, I'm loving that we're, we're seeing it happening Um, through all the different outlets that we have, and we're just getting started. So, you know, I really truly believe we didn't haven't even scratched the surface of of the impact that we're going to have opening these three stores that are opening this this year um, in Philadelphia, two in Philadelphia, one in Westchester, and then also our garden center that has been, uh, is about to have its one year anniversary and seeing how, how much impact that space has had in our community. Uh, and nationally, being invited to speak all over the place has been truly a, a blessing because um, it means that people are getting it. They're getting it and they're enjoying hearing it. They're enjoying seeing us and they have hope. And that's what we're imprinting on, on this world. So I'm, I'm blessed. Well, I'm really excited to see you know where things grow from here. I feel like in the time that I've known you, it's been this just continuous exponential curve upwards. And so I'm excited to to watch you continue to shine in in the space. A question that's really front of mind for me is, you know, I know we're all dynamic, complex individuals with a bunch of different attributes, you know, whether it's personality attributes or just lifestyle <laughs> things and so, <laughs> you know, can you speak to just how all of your different identities and experiences intersect, you know, whether that's your experience 
as a farmer, as a black woman, as a Philly resident, an herbalist, entrepreneur, mom, the, the list goes on. Can you, can you speak to the, just some of the, the intersection points there? Now my core competencies, they've always been scientific. That's always something that I've loved. And I would say health and food or or now health has always been a a background of mine and and, and getting a chance to incorporate food and agriculture now is one of my core competencies is it's truly been dope to watch that um, unravel and evolve, but also integrate with what I already love. When I teach people how to become better, the, you know, the, the self that they want to be, I, like I said before, I start with their passions. I say, what do you love? What is it that, you know, really gets you going that you would do for free if you could? And now you want to do agriculture. Let's try to integrate that so that you always have a burning desire to keep going and, and always be great and always be better. So that that's where it begins for me. Um, and I think that that is what helps to to continue to push me forward is ensuring that all that I have that I know now and all of the knowledge that I continue to gain can just be back to giving it back to others and be in service to, to more and more people as, as much as possible. Uh, and in this short five years, I think we've done an, a really amazing job doing that. And uh, as we continue to the next five, the next five after that and, and beyond, um, I hope that we can only grow in num- not only in impact, but also directly relate back to the the number of people who are literally can say that because of what they how they've enca- um, encountered Farmer John that they can say that has had a, a lasting effect on not only themselves but also the community that they serve. I mean I true I think you're truly the the perfect embodiment of servant leadership. It's it's been amazing to witness how you step into that and how you inspire the community around you and really are this just embodied woman that shows the the young folks in the area and around the world now just what is possible i i remember when you spoke at our regenerative healthcare conference you could hear a pin drop in the room <laughs> as you were telling your story <laughs> because it's it's one of hope and it's one of inspiration and of really transcending the barriers that are put in place, whether like socially or experientially, and just running with it. I mean, at any point in your journey, did you feel afraid that it wasn't going to work out? Or were you just full on like love full speed ahead? I never thought it's not going to work, but I always there's definitely been failures. Yeah. And I think failures are necessary so that you can even appreciate when things are amazing and when things are dope, right? Yeah, like and it, it, rewire, it, it allows me, failures allow me to recalibrate so that I can do it better the next time. And it doesn't mean that the failure meant that that, that didn't work at all. It just means that, that the way that I took, the avenue that I took wasn't the right one. And so that then lends me to opening up my mind even further to say like, okay, that didn't work, but this will work. And then that is exactly what proof of concept is. So unless people fail, we'll actually never be able to impart knowledge on on others to show them how, the right way. Um, so I'm I'm happy to fail as many times as necessary to get to the system. You know, everything that we do is a system. You work the system, the system works for you. And that's what I want to continue to do 
um, so that we can give the game, the free game to people who desire it and really want to work the system so that it works not only for themselves, but also for those people that they serve. And so one of the favorite things that I've heard you share that I know you say at the the end of most of your talks, agriculture yeah. is the culture. Yeah. It's really this powerful mantra that you've created. So can you just unpack that more and why you're so passionate about sharing that ethos with everyone? And just what what does agriculture is the culture mean to you and to really all of us? Yeah, I get fired up about this. So thanks for mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> agriculture is the culture. When you really think about uh, everything that you encounter on a daily basis, everything you touch, right? You drink something every day, you eat something every day. Um, you put clothes on and you also live in a home. You know, if you're blessed, you have all of these things happening, right? And every single one of those components has to have had an interaction with agriculture at some point. It's impossible for it not to have, right? So you can literally attribute farm people who are farming, who you never even think about to the reasons why you're able to have a comfy, a comfortable life. Um, and so I want people to really think about that. That's really all I'm asking is for folks to, to not only think about the amazing chefs who manipulate uh, vegetables and turn them into something beautiful and tasty, but also think about the farmer who didn't get it, who doesn't have the opportunity to create a meal in 30 minutes. Instead, they're actually taking six months <laughs> to grow vegetables for you and beyond that, depending on where the agriculture zone they live in. So you know, it's just about really thinking about if you didn't have agriculture, if this world did not have agriculture, you would not be able to flourish. You wouldn't even have the opportunity to to flourish um, or to even be in a developed country, especially when we're thinking about um, America, when we think about the USA, the all this in development that has taken place is directly correlated to to, far, to farming in that industry. And uh, the other piece to agriculture is the culture is that I truly believe that small farmers are going to be the ones who saves the world. And it allows us to really think about where your food comes from if you are getting your food from a farmer who is near to you. The food that's best for you is the food that's grown closest to you. It's best for you in multiple ways, um, specifically the health component. It has more nutrients if it's grown closer to you. It had a, less of an opportunity to lose that in transit. We also aren't putting uh, so having such a heavy carbon footprint on the planet if the food is also grown closer to you. And, and, and so there's just so many different factors and benefits to, to there being more farmers and more small scale farmers that exist all over the nation and people having a relationship with their farmer and their health is directly impacted by it and the health of the planet is directly impacted by it. So I, I'm really happy to just be a part of the movement of increasing the number of farmers all, you know, in general, however many farmers there are that exist. Uh, I'm also really excited to be a part of the, the regenerative organic movement, um, focusing on training farmers to be in that space specifically, because again, that's how we're going to save us. Well, thank you for being part of this movement. You know, it's a it's something that's so close to all of us here at Rodale Institute, where we're passionate about growing our regenerative organic future and creating more farmers and making farmers know that they're truly appreciated and that they're the backbone of our our healthy system and society. 
So thank you for really being a community leader and a visionary and an incredible case study in what works and what needs to be replicated elsewhere. I mean, I know I'm speaking for myself and all of my colleagues here when I say you give me hope and uh, you give that to so many others too. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for sharing your story. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks so much, Nadine. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Krista. And Rodale. Love Rodale Institute. Love you guys so, so much.